Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. We are less than a week away from main draw action at Rogers Cup in both Toronto and Montreal. The women are beginning to descend here in the GTA, Mike, and the men are gearing up for competition in Quebec. And I know we are both so excited uh, for the two biggest tennis tournaments in Canada. That's like uh, an understatement even because I know we've both been looking forward to this week uh, for such a long time. And it's that one week of the year where the whole tennis world, men's and women's, focuses on what's going on in Montreal and Toronto. So uh, all this anticipation, I'm excited to get going. I was uh, on site yesterday picking up my press pass and uh, getting a lay of, lay of the lands. And no surprise in Toronto who the face of the Rogers Cup is going to be this year. You can guess her image was plastered all over the grounds for uh, for the first time was Bianca Andreescu. Yes, and uh, that's going to be one of many names we're so eager to see live. And uh, it's going to be a great experience for us. So all of our listeners know during Rogers Cup in Toronto, we will be doing a daily podcast on site uh, live, which will be fantastic and have uh, many opportunities to speak with a variety of players amongst other uh, very popular guests, uh, which I know we're both uh, thrilled to do. I hope we have enough material for a daily pot. You think we're going to get enough material? We'll have enough material. I think there's going to be plenty of storylines day by day. I know Serena Williams has already booked in her practice this upcoming weekend. So, so many fantastic players to see and watch. And I know we're going to get some great tennis as well. Now, uh, what I saw when I was on the grounds yesterday was uh, Bianca already out there on center court. So she was warming up for quite a length of time with her fitness trainer, uh, Virginie uh, Tremblay, who was with her earlier this year for all the success that uh, she experienced. And the two of them went through quite a long warm-up routine, as you can imagine, uh, hand-eye coordination drills, footwork drills, before she even picked up a racket. When she did, things were looking good. She's hitting the ball with a lot of power, didn't seem hampered at all by the shoulder, didn't see any specific shoulder exercises either. So that was a good sign. Um, definitely, I think the conditioning for Bianca is going to be, as it would be for any player off for, you know, over two months, going to be a little bit of a, a challenge. But all signs are pointing to uh, her making her uh, Rogers Cup uh, debut this year, uh, Tuesday night in the evening session on center court. Yes, and that will be must-watch tennis. We know for a fact she will not be playing doubles at the Rogers Cup, as obviously she is making that return from injury. Play it safe uh, with just one singles event. We have pre-qualifying draw knowledge that uh, got underway actually today in Carson Brandstein, who's done well in the ITFs. We've spoken to her in the past. She is the number one seed there, so we would love to see her qualify. We don't have the wild cards yet on the women's side, but some News to bring you on the men's side in terms of wild cards. Vashik Pospisil, Braden Schnur, and Peter Polanski earning direct entries into the main draw for Montreal. And in qualifying, we'll have Canadians Stephen Diaz, Philip Pelliwo, and Alexis Galarneau. And we are very pleased this week that uh, our special guest is one of those wild cards who is earning a direct entry into the draw. It is Canadian tennis player Braden Schnur. He just recently made his debut into the top 100. He's ranked 99th overall in the ATP rankings, and he was just competing at the City Open in Washington, where he qualified for the main draw. Our guest this week, Braden Schnur. Braden, thanks so much for joining us on Matchpoint Canada this week. No, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. 
So, Braden, let's start with uh, that first uh, round match last night uh, in D.C. against uh, former Grand Slam finalist, top 10 player, Joe Wilfred Sanga. Not an easy opponent to have to start the main draw against, but it seemed pretty close for the most part uh, all the way through leading up to that second set tiebreak. How would you assess uh, the match against him? Yeah, uh, I mean, both myself and my coach thought it was a really good match. Uh, you know, like really high-level tennis. Uh, you can see by the stats, you know, both of us were serving really well. Um, you know, I kind of blinked in the first set a little bit uh, in one of my service games. I threw in a double fault and I think one or two maybe unforced errors. Um, I kind of I gave him a break point and then he came up with a huge pass on break on his, I think, 30-40 came with a huge one-hand backing pass. And I got broken the first. Outside of that game, there's not much that separates us in that match. Uh, the second set tiebreaker, I mean, he played too good. I got a little unlucky with the neck court here and there. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was a really high-quality match. And, you know, you're going to win some of those. You're going to lose some of those. And that's just part of the sport. Um, it was a, it was a great, great week for me leading up into the Rogers Cup. You know, I got to play on a big court. I got to play in front of a bunch of people. And, and kind of get a little bit of the nerves, nerves out of the system. So, you know, I feel like, and obviously playing against a guy of that quality helps a lot too. So I feel like I'm definitely ready to go for next week. How big a difference is it playing guys in, in challengers or say, um, you know, 250 level events, for example, and then coming up against a guy like Sanga? Do you notice huge differences uh, between guys like that? Or is it just at crucial moments, a little bit more experience uh, for, for players of that uh, sort of level? Yeah, obviously, I mean, I've been saying it for a long time now. I don't think there's much that separates uh, challenger guys from guys top 50, top 100. But, you know, last night, I think Songa, I think he played top 10, top 15 level. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't played against a guy that was that relentless on his serve uh, in a while now. Um, you know, uh, he was, I think in the second set, he was averaging two to three aces a game. Uh, and it just shows, you know, that's the level that he's he's been at, and he's been a Grand Slam ch- uh, finalist, and you know he's won one one big tournaments and top five in the world. And so, you know, obviously to play a guy against that level, who who both myself and my coach felt played a very he played a very high level as well. Um, you know, it is uh, it, it is different than challengers, and so adjusting to it is just, I mean, you get used to it, but it's it's kind of depends on my end. Uh, uh, I have to focus on my my side of the court, uh, focus on what I'm doing every day, and it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the court, whether it's a challenger-level guy or a guy top 10 in the world, I need to do the same thing uh, in order to win. And for yourself, uh, we, we set it off the top, of course, that you recently entered the top 100 uh, of the ATP rankings and, and going toe-to-toe in a close match uh, like that against such an experienced uh, Grand Slam finalist in Sangha. Uh, along with the ranking, what, what does that say uh, for yourself in, in terms of, of confidence? And was that a goal that you had set for yourself for some point this season, reaching that top 100? Yeah, for sure. That was a, that was one of my like year end goals or one of my biggest goals, I guess you could say for for I mean for my whole tennis career in general. You know, is to reach top one hundred. You say every year I want to do this, every year I want to do that, but you never really know when you're going to reach it uh, and break, and have that breakthrough moment when you actually get to the top one hundred. Um, and so it was a huge goal of mine that I've accomplished. Um, but then again, you know, the next day after it happens, it's just it's just another day and it's back to work and it's just another number 
and you want to keep improving on that number. So, uh, yeah, it was a huge goal of mine to reach, and, and I'm excited that I've gotten to that point now. But since it's happened, it's kind of like I want more now. So, uh, you know, I got a little taste, and now I want more. And uh, so many Canadian tennis players had such great runs early this season. Your breakthrough, of course, uh, came at the New York Open, fairly new event in just its second year. You got all the way to the finals there after you came out of qualifying. Was that moment sort of a, a turning point for you in your career, do you think? Yeah, most definitely, for sure. Um, you know, that was my definitely my breakthrough moment, breakthrough tournament uh, at the ATP Tour level, um, you know, reaching the final, beating two quality opponents that are both, I mean, have great results in the past, Steve Johnson and Sam Query, and then obviously a guy like Lorenzi who's who's been top 50 or whatever his ranking was, is high, but forever. It seems like the guy will never stop playing. But, uh, you know, to beat three guys in a row like that, back-to-back-to-back to back to back days, um, you know, I was even impressed with myself. And obviously, you know, I've trained, tra- trained really hard for that moment. And it was, a, it was a big relief to finally, you know, see that all my hard work has paid off, um, you know, and I can compete at that level. And obviously a huge confidence booster that I gained from that tournament. You ever look back and say to yourself, wow, good thing I decided to enter that one? Yeah, for sure. You know, it was there was a big calendar scheduling issue with Davis Cup and what am I going to do here, go to Davis Cup or not, or am I going to stay indoors and play the U.S. and then lead up to New York and, Obviously, getting into New York, I was one of the last guys in. I was like, I got in literally on the last day. I was an alternate. Was barely, I didn't think I was going to go in the first place. And I got in. I'm kind of talking to my coach. You know, do I go? Do I not go? Because I had lost in the quarters at Dallas on Friday. And, you know, I wasn't feeling too good. And he's just like, go and take a chance. And obviously, that chance paid off. So that's something that I'll, I'll never forget in my career. And I'll always remember to take those chances. If I remember speaking to you shortly before that, you had mentioned you had a conversation with uh, Frank Dancevich, who's the uh, captain of the Davis Cup team, and I believe you mentioned that he didn't put any pressure on you whatsoever. Said, "Hey, if anything works out and you can come over and join us, you know, always welcome." Must be nice knowing that you've got the backing of your, you know, tennis federation and, and Davis Cup captain, not to be putting too much pressure on you to come over and and support the team when they know that you're also trying to advance your own personal career. Yeah, of course. You know, you know, Davis Cup is something obviously that is is huge uh, in my books uh, as far as competitions and representing your country. Um, I mean, it's it's an unbelievable tournament, and so obviously to pass up on an opportunity to represent Canada and and play alongside Felix and Dennis and Milos and Blashek and whoever was there at the time. Um, you know, it's it's a tough one to turn down, but obviously it was in my best interest to stay and play the right tournaments and you know thankfully frank understood that and and you know he's he's been a great captain so far you are listening to match point canada our guest this week is canadian tennis player player brayden schnur now you just mentioned some of the great names uh, so many talented young canadians you're still just 24 years of age uh, but of course you mentioned dennis felix we also have bianca and even now Layla annie fernandez on the women's side uh this isn't normally typical to see so many canadian players uh just rising at such a young age what do you think the difference is with uh some of these young players in canada that maybe you've seen uh uh, from experience also just hitting with guys like like Dennis or Felix yeah I mean uh, it's it, it just it goes hand in hand you know I feel like uh, the biggest thing with me in tennis right now is that people are having belief in that they can do it 
Um, you know, it's, it's, you see one guy do it and you say, Oh, I played with that guy before I did with him, you know, I beat him in practice or I did this and or I can handle him. I can hit it. I can rally with him, you know? Um, and you just start to believe you start, start building your own personal confidence and you take that onto the court. And then next thing you know, you're following in their footsteps. And I think that's the biggest thing that's happened with me and tennis. And, uh, you know, Milos Raonic, uh, is kind of like, he started everything out and obviously Eugenie Bouchard on the women's side kind of started uh, lifting everything for Canadian tennis and everyone's just been following in their footsteps ever since. And uh, for you, you went a, a different route than most uh, going to college, which isn't something we always see tennis athletes uh, do going to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. What led you down that path and how much did it help shape your tennis career? Yeah, um, obviously going to University of North Carolina um, was one of, the, one of the biggest decisions I had to make in my tennis career. Um, you know, whether I wanted to turn pro or go to university. Uh, and so, you know, I chose the university route. Um, mainly the reason was I didn't feel like I was um, a standout junior who could automatically make it onto the pro tour and 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 make it quick, you know, make it into the top 100 quick Um Obviously, very few, very few juniors do that, and so I felt the best route for me and my game was to go to college, um, you know, play a very high level of tennis, have great coaches, have great facilities, have great athletic trainers, uh, physios, everything at my at my doorstep, uh, and on top of that, you know, be able to have a little bit of a social life and, and a normal life and, and have some fun because as a tennis player or any professional athlete, you really don't get much of that. Um, so that, that was a huge decision uh, for me to go to college. And, you know, I ended up going for two and a half years. I didn't finish my degree, but uh, it was definitely the best decision of my life so far. And I guess when you look at what's happened now the last couple of years, a uh, few years since you've turned pro, obviously very rewarding for you. And speaking of being rewarded, uh, just announced today that you've got a main draw wild card into the Rogers Cup, which is a pretty big deal. How important is this event to you as a Canadian tennis player, especially being from just outside, uh, you know, the the GTA? Yeah, it's huge. Obviously, the Rogers Cup is is, a, is my home tournament, whether it's in Montreal, Toronto. Uh, it's my favorite tournament of the year. Um, it's huge because uh, you know. Unlike other countries, um, you know, we have one opportunity and one tournament to do well at home. And so as that does bring a lot of pressure, that does bring a lot of excitement. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to having both on my shoulders and just kind of ride the wave this week. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm ready, prepared, and I definitely have the level to compete out there. Got any favorite moments that stand out in your memory from uh, Montreal or Toronto or perhaps even attending the tournament as a, as a kid growing up that uh, stand out to you? Yeah, obviously I have a lot of memories, you know, coming coming to the tournament as a kid and watching and uh, getting Feliciano Lopez's headband when I was here in Montreal. And then uh, and then obviously all the way to when I qualified in Toronto. I forget what year that was, um, but when I qualified to Toronto. And then obviously two years ago here, I played Gasquet on Bank National at night, night match. And that was, you know, obviously it didn't go my way. I lost that one, but... Still, it was a really good match in front of a really, in front of a really uh, excited crowd and loud crowd. So that was something that I, you know, I remember for a long time. Um, and those are just some of the memories that I have here at home. And obviously this week is my, definitely uh, my favorite on the calendar. So I'm really looking forward to it.
And uh, before we let you go, we don't want to look too ahead, uh, too far ahead, but uh, what would your schedule maybe be looking like for the rest of the year? Are you hoping to go into Cincinnati? And um, I I guess it's going to be a brand new opportunity as well, uh, being in the main draw uh, of the U.S. Open rather than coming through qualifying. Yeah, so uh, actually after my plan is to go to the Van Open uh, in Vancouver at the Hollywood Tennis Club. And uh, I'll play, I'll compete there in a in a challenger event, and then from there, uh, depending on how I feel, I will either attend Winston Salem, or I'll come back to Montreal for a few days training before getting ready for the U.S. Open. Uh, obviously, main draw that's pretty exciting over there. So uh, it'll be my second time playing at the U.S. Open. This time, first time in the main draw, and yeah, I'm just really looking forward to the opportunity. I put it in the put in the hard work, and now it's just time to go out there and play. Fantastic. Well, it's been uh, great watching your development uh, over the course of this season, and uh, we're encouraging all tennis fans uh, in Canada to check you out in uh, Montreal in a week's time and uh, at the Van Open as well. Uh, Braden, thanks uh, so much for joining us on the program this week. No, thank you so much for having me, Mike. All the best, and uh, hope to see you soon. That was Canadian tennis player Braden Schnur, who... uh, just recently qualified for the City Open in Washington before losing uh, his first round match to Joe Wilfried Song. A high-level match. Uh, I watched it closely, and uh, he was really hanging with a, a former Grand Slam finalist, which is difficult to do. Yeah, there wasn't too much separating the two of them, and I think that really bodes well for uh, the future for Braden Schnur. You know, he's talking about how he's achieved what he has this season, but he's not satisfied. He wants more. Uh, he's still hungry, so that's that really bodes well that he's not resting on his laurels. And a really cool story, too, for kids, you know, growing up, uh, you know, teenagers leaving high school, wondering what to do next with their tennis careers. Going the college route is definitely something that you can do, get somewhat of an education as well, whether you complete it or at least get, you know, a few years under your belt. And that can also lead you back into a professional career like we've seen with Braden Schnur. So not the typical path, but one that uh, certainly should be applauded. And I think for kids who uh, maybe aren't like, you know, the most talented juniors, but have some tennis skills, Mm -hmm. an option that they should consider. Yeah, the name that always comes to mind on the women's side who's done that very successfully this year, sort of had her breakthrough, was Danielle Collins. Played college at University of Virginia, won singles titles there, and then had that uh, enormous breakthrough reaching the semifinals of the Australian Open. Uh, That's certainly the name that stands out. Braden Schnur uh, will be at Rogers Cup in Montreal. As we revealed, he is getting a wildcard main draw entry, so that's a fantastic opportunity for him. And as well as... He said, U.S. Open main draw, that's going to be a first for him, second time there at Flushing Meadows, but now in the main draw, uh, as you develop your career and keep rising up the rankings, you get more opportunities to do big things. And hopefully we'll have more opportunities to talk with Braden, and uh, hey, maybe next time he'll, he'll figure out the two differences in our voices, because I, I didn't think we sounded that much alike. But uh... <laughs> ah, It can be a little bit confusing, I suppose. We'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, of okay. course. Uh, let's uh, continue uh, with the rest of action on the ATP side from last week, uh, just to give you a rundown of what happened. Uh, we had the 250, the Atlanta Open. Alex Diemenauer capturing, capturing that title just the second of his career, both coming in 2019, uh, beating the American Taylor Fritz in the finals, uh, which is a bit of a surprise. We're used to an American winning that event, specifically one American. John Isner always seems to take it. I believe he's won, what, five of the past six years. That's right. 
Yep, big uh, serving John Isner. So I guess he's given other people an opportunity. Well, he got taken out himself by a big server in Riley Opelka. Yeah, uh, look, some people might be confusing those two. <laughs> uh, such a similar uh, makeup and build. Obviously, Opelka just kind of launching his career this year, breaking inside the top 50. Uh, elsewhere, Hamburg, Nicolas Basilashvili repeating as champion. Uh, he's had a really quiet season, but a uh, big title for him. He uh, beat Alexander Zverev in a tough semifinal match. Then he takes out Andre Rublev in a three-setter in the final and just like that he's inside the top 20 up to number 16. I struggled so much pronouncing that guy's name earlier in the season but now that he's having all these deep runs and having so much success I feel much more confident confident saying Basilashvili. So. Yeah well uh, he uh, did well at the US Open last year I remember uh, him pushing Nadal so I'm sure he'll be excited to be playing at Flushing Meadows and he will be at Rogers Cup as well. Albert Ramos Venoyos winning on clay in Stad this past week. Uh, Hamburg was also on clay so uh Weird transitions sometimes we make across the calendar year for tennis. We go from the grass courts, clay, hard court season, bit of a mix. Hey, they got to make their money, right? These pros got to go wherever they feel best suits them, whether it's the traveling or the uh, the potential payout. And if you're a clay court guy, there's only so many more opportunities throughout 2019. I guess you got to take advantage of those, right? Yes, and Ramos Benoyos did exactly that. He's always been a strong suit clay court specialist, the lefty Spaniard. City Open still continuing, and Milos Raonic yet to play his first round match, lined up to play Tim Smicek in round one. Any expectation for Milos here, just kind of getting his feet wet after a a bit of a trying Wimbledon, I suppose, where he lost uh, a a surprising match to Guido Pella. Yeah, well, there's no reason why Milos shouldn't have success, you know, to get uh, warmed up and ready for, for the Rogers Cup. Um, I mean, it was how many years ago now, um, five years ago now, perhaps, that him and Vashik Pospisil had the first all-Canadian uh, men's singles final in D.C. So that was, I remember that one quite clearly. That was really cool. And, uh, you yeah, know, with his game and, and the fact that hopefully he's put in the time on the practice courts since Wimbledon, uh, working on that fitness, uh, which I think was a bit of a, a question mark uh, at the last slam, Hopefully he's ready to go. Uh, what I've been hearing on social media in terms of uh, interviews he's had this week, he's sounding very relaxed and, and sort of in a good place mentally. So hopefully that translates uh, onto the court. Now, we don't want him to have too much success in D.C. and not save his best for uh, for Montreal. But, uh, hey, maybe he can uh, do both if uh, fans are fortunate. Yeah, that would uh, be fantastic to see. Felix Auger-Aliassime is also competing there, and he will get the big server who we just mentioned, Riley Opelka, in his first match. Denis Shapovalov withdrew from this one, uh, but I know you saw him uh, hitting at Aviva Center as he's... Uh, hopefully getting ready for Rogers Cup in Montreal. Yeah, he was tucked away in Toronto yesterday, um, yesterday being uh, Monday, on some backcourt, you know, in behind the construction as they're still putting up bleachers and stands and setting up things for the fans. Uh, But, uh, yeah, he was working on some things there. Now, what I didn't see but was told that at some point he was uh, extensively kind of working out the uh, the shoulder uh, in between hits. So hopefully nothing too serious there. I don't know if that's the reason why he chose not to go down to D.C., but uh, he did show up in Montreal today and and should be making his uh, first match on the uh, Monday evening session in Montreal. There we go. And uh, I know he's really looking to turn things around for the remainder of 2019. It's been a bit of a trying few months. I think he's dropped nine of 11. But uh, if we recall from a couple of years ago, this is where he really, really hit a stride, at least in 2017, had the 
breakthrough in Montreal and then did so well at the U.S. Open right after that. Yeah, fans are going to go nuts to see him back there because his run was so magical a couple years ago. I wasn't there in person, unfortunately, but you could feel that electricity just watching on TV at home. And fans are also going to be welcoming Felix Auger-Aliassime, and especially the French-Canadian population there is just going to totally embrace this kid, and it's going to be a really special week for those two youngsters uh, in, in Montreal the uh, atmosphere on center court there is usually, you know, phenomenal no matter who is playing. Yep. You put these two guys in the mix and it's going to be a real special uh, tournament, I think. Yes, it certainly will. Stefano Tsitsipas is the number one seed, by the way, in Washington this week. Jack Sock was back in action as a wild card, though he lost his match to Jordan Thompson. couple other 250s, just to quickly mention, in Los Cabos, Mexico. Fabio Fanini is the top seed there. And Dominic Team is the top seed in Austria this week. Over to the women's side. Sloane Stevens was your number one seed at the City Open, but uh, she has bowed out early. Coco Goff also attracting a lot of attention uh, after qualifying for this event, uh, drawing huge, huge crowds. Everybody remembering her name from the epic Wimbledon run and uh, just 16 years old and drawing a massive crowd. We had an early exit for the Canadian Jeannie Bouchard. I know you got a chance to watch this match in full uh, going down to the American Lauren Davis 6-1, it's one of those matches I kind of wish maybe I, I, I hadn't watched because uh, yeah. it was difficult if you're a Canadian tennis fan and a Jeannie Bouchard fan. Uh, eight straight is just kind of mind-boggling going all the way back to mid-February. So you can just imagine what the confidence is like for, for Jeannie. And although she's had some close ones in recent months, she just doesn't seem to be able to get over that hump. Uh, she was not in this match against Lauren Davis whatsoever. And it was kind of like same old, same old. Jeannie sticking to plan A, which was go for broke. A lot of errors, hitting long, hitting wide, and there was no plan B. There was no adjustment. Also, Lauren Davis playing very, very sharp. Davis, who had a great run at Wimbledon, upsetting the defending champ, Angelique Kerber. Um, And even though she's only, I want to say, 5'2", 5'3", you know, she packs a lot of punch and was really uh, painting the lines with her shots. But for Jeannie, I mean, her coach comes out to talk to her and is saying things like, you know, you've got the right intentions, Uh, you know, keep coming forward, keep moving forward, come to the net if you can. It's not really something that I see Jeannie Bouchard being super comfortable with. I mean, I think this plan B, whatever it could be, needs to be developed over time in practice. You can't just say now flick the switch and try something different if you're not the type of player that's done that before in in your matches. Yeah, and uh, look, she'll be arriving at Rogers Cup uh, with no burden whatsoever of being the the face of Canadian tennis. Uh, I know she placed that amount of pressure on herself in the past and uh, things hadn't worked up worked out at Rogers Cup, but uh, she's not entering this scenario anymore. I, I think uh, people realize, I don't, I don't want to say the writing's on the wall, but uh, in terms of career trajectory and uh, what she's been doing the past, you know, four, almost going on five years now, we, we haven't seen the results. Uh, and therefore, she should try and just kind of relax herself, play a little more free. Um, we've, we've stated she needs more match play, but uh, it's difficult because you're entering these main draws. You're going to get solid competitors like Lauren Davis, you have to be sharp uh, mentally, physically uh, to be competing and having a chance to win matches. Yeah, I mean, I think the media is still going to be all over Jeannie when she comes to Toronto, but, you know, not as much as if it were her hometown of Montreal. When I was looking at the grounds at the Aviva Centre, it's it's very different this year because normally you see Jeannie Bouchard plastered all over the walls and the posters and whatnot, and I only found a very small one of Jeannie Bouchard sort of tucked away on the side of the stadium that was obscured by a couple of trees that have been planted there, I don't want to say, and hopefully not on purpose, but yeah. she's definitely not the, uh, the face of, of Canadian tennis at this point point in time 
and that could be good for her. But then we've got to see her make those smart decisions. Okay, how do I go about sort of rebuilding things because uh, what she's doing right now just isn't isn't clicking. Yes, uh, we'll see if she can turn things around. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. We have another WTA event as well in San Jose where Alina Svitolina is the number one seed there. We've seen plenty of success from her actually when she comes to Rogers Cup just a couple of years ago winning the title. So she's going to be a significant name to watch if you have a chance to uh, view the action here at Aviva Center. Now she'll almost feel like the defending champion because when she won the event, it was the last time the women were in Toronto. It's yes. kind of that odd going back and forth, which most tournaments don't have in other countries. I think it's great in Canada that that happens. So fans of Montreal and Toronto can get to see both on a regular basis. But uh, Alina normally plays well in tournaments where she's had prior success and sort of feeds off that familiarity and those good vibes. And so, yeah, I would not be surprised. I mean, obviously dependent on the draw if uh, she had another deep run when she shows up in in Toronto this week. Certainly possible. And San Jose has kind of that mix of veterans and younger players, some good youth. Venus Williams there, Victoria Azarenka there, kind of stalwarts of the WTA going years back. And then new faces like Amanda Nisimova. And almost forgotten faces like Coco Vandeweg, who we've seen great results from uh, in the past, but has dealt with injuries basically the last year. So uh, good to see her back on the court as well. We'll uh, just recap some Canadian news. Sharon Fitchman uh, capturing the doubles title at the Baltic Open last week. That's uh, the first title in her comeback. And uh, with the victory, she's entering the top 100 in women's doubles. It's pretty impressive. And and when you think about it, the last time the women were in Toronto, Sharon Fitchman was at the Rogers Cup, but she was on the other side of things yes. as a member of the media. And so here she is, obviously the decision to come back at the age of 27, 28 was the right one because she's put together a pretty solid season and now obviously peaking at the right time. So if she can carry that uh, momentum forward, hopefully, uh, you know, entertain the crowd here with uh, with a couple of victories. Great to see uh, from from Sharon. And then other Canadians that we want to talk about, uh, 16-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez has just continued to have a pretty remarkable stretch of tennis when you think back to winning the Junior Grand Slam in Paris at uh, the French Open back in May. And then deciding, as we've mentioned before, to skip the junior Wimbledon tournament, which was a great move on her part. She's played these ITF events in Canada. And uh, apart from a little blip in, I believe it was Saskatoon, she won the event in uh, Gadno in both singles and doubles. And then this past week in Granby, again, making the finals, didn't win it this time, but still making her second consecutive final and knocking off some, you know, pretty established uh, players along the way. So she's really justifying uh, a lot of the hype that I think we're, we're feeling about her. And it's going to be interesting to see at present time, the wild cards haven't been announced yet in Toronto, but I would say there's a very good chance. I would almost be surprised now if she did not get a, a main draw wild card. Yes, I'd be uh, pretty stunned if Fernandez doesn't doesn't get that main draw wild card. She's uh, just played such incredible tennis the past few weeks uh, on the ITF circuit, kind of proving even at age 16, she's a cut above, I think, a lot of uh, the ITF players and uh, is going to probably blend very well with the WTA sooner than later. Uh, I don't want this to turn into a controversy, but it came up on Twitter quite a bit that uh, Leilani Fernandez in that semifinal Final, she defeated fellow Canadian Francoise Abanda in a tough three-set match. Now, Fernandez celebrated, kind of high-fived her coach after. Hadn't come up for the handshake maybe soon enough. 
something you normally do immediately, then celebrate with your team after. A uh, bit of a clerical error there, perhaps on her part. Abanda didn't like it uh, and had sort of walked over to her chair and they didn't really get a proper handshake. And uh, Abanda took to Twitter afterwards uh, complaining about the issue. I, I hope this isn't a, a brewing feud. Uh, she's just 16. Uh, Bonda's been on the tour for a while. I, I hope they can uh, kind of let bygones be bygones and get over this. Yeah, I don't really feel there's anything between the two players. I think, honestly, this was just something that got blown out of proportion on social media. I watched the match. I watched the end of the match. It was very tight. It was very tense going back and forth. In fact, Abanda looked like she was on the verge of winning. She was up 4-2 in the, the final set tiebreak. This is a match that went something like three hours uh, or, or very lengthy anyway. She had a match point, Abanda did even, on Fernandez's serve in the tiebreak, and Layla Annie ended up pulling it out. And, you know, rookie mistake. She was very exuberant, very excited, obviously. These are, like, ca- career-defining moments for her yeah. thus far in her career. She ran over to see her father-slash-coach, which, I mean, I think we can forgive her being so young and just going with the emotions. Uh, and then on the other side of the net, you can understand, too, why Abanda might not wait around at the net. She's upset. She was so close to winning and instead loses it in heartbreaking fashion. So she goes over, starts packing her racket. I don't think there was any animosity at that point. Fernandez came over, stopped. Once Abanda realized she was there, they shook hands. That was it. I think, fine, over and done with. But then you get these trolls on Twitter who are coming out that start making a big deal of it. And I think it could have blown over quickly if it weren't for the fact that Abanda, unfortunately, didn't follow that sort of rule of like, you know, take a deep breath and let things kind of sit for 24 hours. Yeah. And she went forward to tweet about it. And I'm not knocking how she might have felt in the moment, but I think sometimes you got to just ignore some of these people who are out there, not let it get to you because you're just adding fuel to the fire which is what kind of happened in this case. So Yeah, I probably wouldn't have even weighed in if I were her right? on, on social media. I understand maybe if your mentions are blowing up and you look at your phone in the heat of the moment, even 20, 30 minutes, hour, a couple hours after the match, you're still frustrated about how things went down and missing an opportunity to win. So uh, feeling the need to reply, maybe that was actually a mistake in hindsight. But uh, like you said, I, I think this is blown out of proportion. Shouldn't be a big deal at all going forward. Learning experience for both of them, hopefully, and let's put it to, to rest and move forward. Yes, exactly. Also, uh, Canadian Rebecca Marino uh, will be playing in the Pan Am Games along with uh, youngsters Jada Bui and Sasha Vagramov. Uh, we will wrap up this episode with our final Rogers Cup ticket draw. Two draws, uh, two sets of daytime platinum tickets uh, from Tennis Canada for us to, to dish out. And uh, it's been great because we've been hearing as well from a lot of previous winners uh, that they've gotten their tickets and are ready to go um and they'll be ready for pickup at will call just so you know yeah i'm a little bit sad because after we give these away i mean we've we've kind of what's next you know what are we going to uh yeah we need some swag we need some i think we're going to have some swag i think after rogers cup we're going to have a few items that are going to be pretty cool to uh, give out as well as uh, obviously our ticket well is as run dry here but uh these platinum tickets are great so this will be for the friday quarterfinals friday august uh 9th in Toronto, daytime session, two separate pairs. Thank you to everybody who has interacted with us over the last few weeks, months uh, on these ticket draws. Thank you to Tennis Canada for providing these tickets, which has been wonderful. And uh, congratulations this week to our two winners. Uh, We've got Joan, Joan Gibbs, and we've got Ash at Toronto Ash on Twitter. We will be in touch with both of you and uh, your tickets will be ready for you at Will Call at the Rogers Cup. Have a great time. 
Congratulations to Joan and Ash, and enjoy your tickets and your time at Rogers Cup. I know we're going to enjoy our time. We're going to be crazy busy, uh, but we will be there basically probably seven straight days uh, in Toronto at Aviva Centre, and we'll be doing, as I said, daily podcasts uh, beginning Monday to kind of get you in with all the action, not necessarily recaps, but uh, telling you what's going on, have some interaction with WTA players. And uh, we want to let our listeners know if there's anything you want to hear from us specifically, some questions, some some tidbits you'd like, uh, feel free to kind of hit us up on social media at Matchpoint Can. Let us know uh, what you'd like to hear for. Uh, from the week. Yeah, no guarantees we can do it, but uh, but get in touch and let us know. <laughs> yeah, we'll do our uh, very, very best. Um, and I hope you can do your best as well to follow along with us because it's going to be a very busy week and a half really starting now and especially next week as our main draws will open uh, this coming Monday in both Toronto and Montreal. Uh, as for us at Matchpoint Canada, we will talk to you next time, which will be coming soon. I'll say-